0: AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. There was a, basically a research team that was doing a study on bitcoins. And in particular for a lot of the ransomware that we're seeing you know, propagating on the internet today.
1: They came up with some interesting numbers. Uh, the reason yeah, any of these cryptocurrencies or bitcoins, are they're very easy to create. Anyone can walk out. There's no proof of identification. Mm-hmm. I can go and create it. And the second thing is, once the transfer has been made, there's no revert back. Right. Once the money is gone, it's gone.
2: Two, yeah, so you can't reverse the right. transaction, which is one of the things that I guess some bank transactions can be reversed once they found that there's something bad going on. Exactly, but in this case, you can't reverse. You it. can't revert back. Yeah.
1: And I think uh, the third most important thing with these hackers is uh, it's very easy to cash the bitcoins. Mm. Uh, I believe uh, these three things actually that made the darling to the hackers to use the bitcoin, in addition to you know anonymous uh, networks being used in this case.
2: Yeah. So these uh, these. Criminals—they ultimately—they want to go buy something a like a Lamborghini, mm-hmm. you know, or you know, a fancy car. Yeah. And so, uh, if they want to go f- buy a fancy car, they can't go into most dealers with Bitcoin. And in fact, a lot of places aren't even willing to take cash okay. because they know that if somebody's paying for one of those cars in cash, it's probably dirty money. Yeah. And uh, and so, it's at least frowned upon. Perhaps in some countries, you can get away with it more than others, but. Anyway, I, I distracted you. <laughs> Go and continue.
1: No, I mean in this in this study, actually, what they found is basically uh, they keyed on thirty four about thirty four different ransomware families. Yeah, I think uh, about one hundred and fifty binaries. They started with, I think, slowly they ramped up to three hundred and ten thousand binaries.
2: Wow, well, just. <laughs> just a few. Uh, <laughs> 310,000. So, there's different versions a uh, different, or different versions. iterations of I think, of uh, the, I
1: think uh, the, there are lots of binaries are in play because you know, they want to evade the AV detection. Yeah, yeah. Probably that's what it is.
2: Yeah. On that, that's basically no well, uh, a well-known fact that is, as antivirus is able to catch up with the signatures, they're generally, yeah, and they're trying to outrun the antivirus to uh, be able to basically do the ransom, you know, and then they don't really care if it gets detected yeah. after that's already been done.
1: Uh, it's uh, primarily comprised of uh, 10 malwares, but the top two are uh, Cerber and the other one is the Loki. I think Lockheed right. is the first uh, million-dollar club ransomware they've seen it.
2: And that's, that's you, you get an award for getting into that club?
3: Uh,
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> you get a Lamborghini. Yeah. Uh, maybe
1: multiple that. Lamborghinis. <laughs> When a victim has to pay the Bitcoin, they has to go to some exchange and get the money. Mm-hmm. And most of the victims, they prefer. Uh, I think uh, it has actually a very appropriate name, localbitcoins.com. Mm. It seems to be about more than uh, one third of the time that actually victims use that. Wow. Um, I think the people are dubbing it as a Craigslist offer you know bitcoins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the second interesting point to me is ninety percent of the victims actually they paid single payments. I think probably it's a fear of the loss of data. Mm-hmm. And whenever a victim is uh, hit with a ransomware uh, malware or attack, they will be given a unique ID along with the Bitcoin address where to actually money to be posted. So by using these Bitcoin exchanges, the victim will pay the money and actually the bad guys, the hackers, actually collect from that specific Bitcoin wallet address. The, the crux of the story for me is when they followed this Bitcoin trail actually, 95% of the transactions are leading to BTCE. Mm-hmm. I think it's a Russian-based cryptocurrency exchange. Mm-hmm. And they concluded actually, you know, most of the transactions were actually ending at that specific mm-hmm. point. Yeah.
0: To learn that 95% of the coins ended up, in essence, routing through this this clearinghouse or laundering of those bitcoins is pretty impressive.
2: Are they doing anything to try to get the people behind this? Two days
1: before the release of this actually research paper at the DEFCON, I think they arrested one of the key members. Mm. Uh, I think a couple of billion money laundering uh, but I don't know whether it got created any dent in the market for this uh, specific uh, exchange.
0: Regardless of this guy being arrested and, um, and, you know, and being able to prove that f- he basically transacted $4 billion, there are a lot of people on the internet look at it and say, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. If this guy goes down, I'll be next. Up to set up the the next exchange. Oh, so you think there's
2: going to be somebody to follow? <laughs> Absolutely. Follow and like you said, and
0: they'll just make sure that they figure out what he did wrong, and I'll do it. I'll do mistakes, better. Right. I'll do better next time. Yeah,
3: we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I can say you also see a lot of these, these guys. They they don't target in the country that they're planning to do the exchange in. Mm-hmm. You know, so the malware is written to exclude like Russia. or If you're going to do exchange in Russia, so you don't you don't you know you ha- you always have to be expedited to be to be charged.
2: So they're they're basically tracing the signature paths of the Bitcoin and learning more about that. Very clever analysis and uh, really, uh, I think, helpful in learning more about how this uh, problem is manifesting itself and finding more ways to deter it. It's not
0: one of those things where you just take one person down and then this problem goes away. I think Bitcoin is certainly here to stay. And I think we're going to see this problem persist.
1: The reason people are paying it is because of the fear of loss of data. The key is, you know, don't follow the you know the clicks, you know, have a good backup, and also follow the defense in depth policy.
0: Hey, John. So uh, I hear that uh, you've got a story for us that involves some sort of uh, shenanigans going on in some sort of uh, Turkish app store.
3: Yeah, it's uh, it, it's kind of interesting when you look at the uh, some of the uh, mobile marketplaces, the app stores. Because there's so much content, um, you know, going to another country to get it, uh, for example, if you're in China and you, and you need to get uh, an app that happens to be located in you know, the UK or wherever, you know, some of that download can take a lot of uh, bandwidth and resources. So, so we start seeing these little pop-up app stores that almost are the sole country's, you know, primary app store, um, even though they're unofficial, and in Turkey... One of these uh just recently made the news because every piece of mobile app application code on this app store, so everything on it had malware associated you know associated with it, so every one of them was infected. so anyone who used this unofficial app store is now in, is infected with something
0: so let's let's get this straight, John. you're saying one hundred percent of all apps on that app store were.
3: Yep, 100%. It's an unofficial app store. It's not a, a you know. Right. It's not official. It's not monitored. It's it's totally you know off 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 you know off the records. But right. but a lot of people in that country used it because of the you know it's it, it's kind of the easiest mechanism for them to get apps. It, it, but you know, it goes back to you know we tell we tell people all the time you know use the official app stores. Uh, you know feel like a broken record. Use the official app stores. Make sure you're running. You know, you know, make sure, you know, when it asks for permission, you know what you're asking for, you know, what you're giving it. And and, and then it's just common sense. If, if You know, if something doesn't look right, don't use it. And, you know, it's, it's just in this case, it was, it's completely unofficial. And, and it was asking, you know, a lot of times permissions that, you know, people shouldn't have given.
0: As I was reading through the article, the other thing that I saw on there that was interesting was that they had a little bit of a scheme in the beginning, right? Where it, when you were first getting onto the app store, they would actually give you seven days where you actually wouldn't be given the app with the malware on it. So you got a seven day grace period. Did I get that right?
3: You, you got it right, yeah. It, 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 I think that's gonna be a trend. Then you know, it kind of lures you in. You think that, oh, I got this for free or I got this cheap, you know, and now, and nothing bad happens. Right. kind of let your guard down a little bit and boom, they get you.
0: Right, yeah. I thought that I thought that was interesting. It's like you know, like sure, you know, don't worry about it. You know, check it out. We, you know, we're completely one hundred percent legitimate, <laughs> and it's quite the opposite. We're a hundred percent not legitimate. <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: John, do you think it's yeah. kind of uh, some sort of a uh, test run to doing something uh, even bigger, nefarious thing? I mean, they could have done uh, anything.
3: Yeah, I, I think you could. I, I I think in a lot of cases, you know. You know, I'm sure it's somebody local in that country, but yeah, you just you just never know what you know what's going to turn into you know down the road. And, and these unofficial app stores do tend to get interconnected at some point, so you know they could spread it out. You know, so you know if somebody has you know targeting rooted devices, that may be the you know the mechanism that they're going to start using.
0: Always be weary of where you're downloading your apps from. It's very easy to be enticed by a lower priced app for something that you're looking to do. The key takeaway is use the official Google stores, maybe official Apple stores, to get
1: the patches or apps because they have some stringent policies to wet out the bad apps. Hey John, I think you have a story from a black hat about Broadcom Wi-Fi chips, which is targeting iOS as well as Android devices. Could you elaborate a little bit about on this specific vulnerability?
3: Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. The- you know, black hats always has some interesting stories that comes out, you know, that come out of it, and 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 CON as well, of course. And, and from my perspective in the mobile endpoint, uh, you know, world, the probably the most critical one that came out of it is is a, is a is a talk that was titled Broadcom about an attack against Broadcom chips, you know, the Wi-Fi in particular and those are used in a number of devices if you, if you actually look at the, the peak parts for like Apple devices or Android, a lot of Android device models.
0: Because we're talking about a, a Broadcom, Broadcom mobile driver uh, or Wi-Fi driver, we're talking about it sort of affecting both sides of the fence, so iOS devices as well as Android devices, because they both use the same chipsets on their, on their handheld devices.
3: And what these researchers found was that for Broadcom, the driver for Wi-Fi actually, you know, and it happens all the time, you know, they allocated more space than they actually needed. So the researchers tried to figure out, could I put code into that excess allocation? And, and what they found was is that in, in some limited circumstances, that extra code just just from a handshake, you know, just saying, hey, is there an AP near me? it would actually be able to be executed as, as, you know, as a remote executable. Kind of scary, um, you know, it's a little limited in the fact that it's, it's local to the, you know, to the Wi-Fi uh, connectivity, but, but it is a little bit, you know, tricky in that regard. Um, Apple's released a patch for this already. Um, Google's released a patch for it already. Uh, devices will, you know, people should keep their devices up to date. So I don't think that there's going to be a widespread concern um, but the researchers even took it to the point where they could say you could turn this into what they call the worm. I don't know if I can call it a worm. I call it more of a virus. But And, and infect other devices from your device. Um, it's just you know, like it's the type of thing that we see out of Black Hat and CON a lot. There's, there's a lot of good research that gets done. And uh, hopefully with uh, good researchers, that they, they're doing the habits of contacting the OEMs, contacting the manufacturers, and making sure that before they give that talk, there's already a path and it's already corrected so that nobody's really at, at, at risk or, or risk is minimized.
0: Yeah, that's a <laughs> that's definitely an interesting one. Um, do we know, um, does it say anywhere in the article how much extra, you know, quote-unquote extra space there actually was there? You know, so how, how much can you actually execute from there?
3: I'm thinking it's about 140 bytes. Yeah, which is... what, what, what I'm thinking, which is so quite a bit. Yeah,
0: that's quite a bit.
3: Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. So it's, it's enough that you could probably put some good code in there <laughs> and get it to execute. Now, now a lot of times the Wi-Fi driver doesn't run at, a, at an elevated level. You know, it, it, it's at it's at a you know at a restricted level. So I, I don't know what you could actually do with that code. Mm. So you might not be able to actually own the device or scrape you know too much information depending upon you know how, how the the permissions are set. But it's still it's more than you, you know than anybody would want to have.
1: John, maybe. In the Windows world, basically, there are some sort of, you know, memory protections to actually thwart these kind of attack, like uh, DEP and ASLR, those kind of things may mitigate the, this attack And uh, you know, Wi-Fi or
3: You know, Windows is tough to talk about, right, because there's not a whole lot of footprint there. But mm-hmm. you do see some, you know, it, it, I'm sure the same problem exists, but it's it just it, it it's different enough that it, I don't know, I've I not seen any research that said it, that an attack of this nature would be successful in
0: Windows. Yeah, so I mean, uh, interesting thing. I mean, you know, I, I know, like you said before, there were quite a few interesting things that came out of Black Hat and Def Con. I personally was at Def Con this year and saw quite a bit myself. So I know that uh, that's just one of you know, a whole mountain of really interesting stories. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we will end up talking on this show about some of, some of the other interesting things that have come out of both those conferences. Yeah, and, ho- and hopefully
3: all of them are the same like this one already passed.
0: Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> in this case, we had responsible disclosure. The researchers who found this disclosed this to both the Android and the, um, and the Apple side of the house. All right, thanks, John. Thank you, John.
2: Hey guys, I know that you like to take the internet weather and really kind of look at what's going on here and now. I thought it would be kind of useful, you know, I'm an executive, (laughs) so I guess it's part of my job to sort of step back and kind of look at the forest through the trees here. So I thought maybe it would be good to kind of step back a little bit. So we're not looking at necessarily here and now, although there's a little piece of it that we'll take a look at. We're going to take a look at the internet weather from uh, you know what's been kind of going over on over the last few months here, and see how uh, things are manifesting. The first thing I thought would be uh, kind of useful to take a look at here is look. This is WannaCry, that really kind of took off on May 13th. That was sort of the official start date. There was a little bit of activity taking place earlier than that, so. I don't know that anybody's really figured out exactly what was going on there, but uh, kind of interesting. So, uh, you know, this uh, Wanna cry was kind of interesting. But again, this, you know, this graph ends right around, uh, you know, I think it's May 14th is the last date here. So if we take a look at what's going on today, wow, that's kind of interesting to me. <laughs> so ultimately what we're looking at here is the fact that from the internet point of view at least, there's actually more wanna cry and pet you stuff out, or no pet you stuff, hanging out there and continuing to try to find vulnerable systems, and apparently successfully because we're still seeing an increase in the number of addresses that are impacted by that activity on the internet. So the underlying message here is that even though organizations may feel that that's a come and gone type of an issue. The reality is, they really need to still be taking care of it because if you know, perhaps they have some system that's sitting in the corner somewhere that nobody's really paying attention to, and you know, eventually it's going to get discovered and get infected if uh, people aren't paying attention to it. So, this is clear evidence. I mean, you can't really argue with that. One of the things that I see is very interesting about this is, uh, and this is uh, very typical uh, when you are looking for activity that might be business related is that you're seeing activity that's busy during the week and then the weekends are off. Mm -hmm. That's a typical sort of business cycle activity, suggesting that most of this is impacting businesses and not home users per se. So um, I I think the, uh, my, my guess is the reason this is taking place is that for the most part, when home users buy Windows systems, they're automatically configured for Windows Update the business world is still working a little differently, where they get an enterprise update, uh, they may do some testing, and then they're trying to kind of figure out way to get it ways to get it deployed out to all their users. And uh, I suspect that, generally speaking, the businesses are actually perhaps doing less of a good job as the consumers are at this point in terms of keeping systems patched. Now, there, sometimes there are really good reasons for that, you know, servers, you don't want to break applications because of uh, patches or impact systems and business continuity and things like that. Uh, but I think this is really sort of evidence that uh, enterprises should really kind of reconsider how they approach uh, patching and perhaps be more aggressive about it because clearly uh, that type of activity is still taking place on their net and continues to spread. So. So we
0: could make probably a little bit of a prediction as to where this is going and where it'll eventually settle in, and you know, it's, it's probably going to take yeah. this line. If you draw a line across the normal track that mm-hmm. we'd seen before, Wanna Cry, oh, yeah. you know, we're probably going to see a bump because you're going to have that stuff sitting out there just like the configure stuff yeah. for. Who knows how long?
2: Yeah, well, this, con- this configure stuff dates back to 2008, and I knew there was a period of time where we were tracking, oh, I would say on the order of four or five times as many devices at, at a given time. We're reaching a similar number here. Now, since 2008, clearly, the numbers of devices on the internet have grown. So yep. um, it's, it's, uh, it's a little difficult to say where this is going to top out. The curve doesn't seem to be reaching an asymptote at this point. It's not you know, leveling off it, yeah. or gotten to the point where I would call it saturation. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how far this goes. And um, you know, hopefully uh, it, it won't get too much worse than this, kind of level out, and then hopefully start working its way down.
0: Brian sort of tried to really give some context to what this actually looks like. So he had initially showed us sort of a smaller window of what it looked like when we first saw this but then sort of blew the context out and said, well, wh- where what does it look like now, today? And unfortunately, what we saw was that that graph basically was skyrocketing. And it doesn't look like it,
2: it's making any kind of turn to either level off or come down. So kind of looking at a completely different angle on this, uh, this is sort of our traditional look, and I think we're looking back. Let me just take a quick look here. Yeah, it's 30 days. Uh, we're looking back 30 days at the uh, And these are the common ports that are probed for IoT devices. So there are a number of ports that are on here that just aren't even showing up in this particular graph. I think what's most notable here is we do have a spike or a sort of resurgence in activity on port 23. went up from, what are we showing, around 60, 70,000 sources and bumped up to on the order of about 100,000 sources. So, you know, it's a pretty significant change in activity. But it's interesting to note that there are really only two really active ports here on this now. Um, there's port 22, um, and we're seeing some I would say fairly steady activity here. There's, you know, there's a sort of a botnet event here, and it looks like some tailing off see with a botnet here. Uh, but that's uh, one port that's being targeted and another one most predominantly is port 23. Some of the other ones where we had seen a reasonable amount of activity, there was a little spike of activity on port 7547. That was the one that was associated with the uh, uh, CPE WAN management protocol. So again, this is 30 days. Let's take a look at a longer period of time and this is actually looking at the last two years, 730 days here. And uh, so just to put it in comparison, we're here today, actually that spike takes us up to right about there, uh, compared to, wow, look at where we were.
1: <laughs> the trend looking back from now to the past, actually the kind of trend
2: is actually slowed down a little bit. So I think this is really significant in that when the Mirai botnet was really in its heyday, and that was right around at this point, and we saw you know, on the order of 500,000 devices, and today we're measuring on the order of about 100,000 devices, it really has decreased in terms of, I think, how we'll say aggressively they're scanning the internet. Also sort of point out here, as we just had talked about, port 22 and port 23 are really the only two ports that are really being heavily targeted right now, relatively speaking. Whereas uh, what we were seeing previously is, you know, here's 7547. Here's another port, which is at that's 5358. We saw that associated with some devices. Uh, this is a port here. This was uh, 23231. Again, and associated with another type of IoT device, and then 2323 back here. So the variety of ports being targeted, the amount of targeting activity that's taking place has been going down. But here's an interesting observation. Let's take a look at, and this is over the last year, this is reflective DDoS attack activity. Now, I was having a little trouble creating a same time span, a two year uh, graph. So we're gonna look at one year, but we saw that around the time when the Mirai botnet was getting a little more strength, um, what ended up happening is they were actually moving away from reflective denial of service attacks and moving toward just sort of brute force attacking. So. This downturn should not be considered or construed as a decline in DDoS attack activity. It was actually a decline in using reflective denial service attacks. Mm-hmm. And then because the botnet was so darn strong, they didn't really have to do that. Right. They just, you know, oh, let's just flood them. Right. <laughs> um, but what's happening now is perhaps because the botnets are smaller, and I don't know if it's that devices are harder to find or they're not being as aggressive or you know, trying to hide a little bit more, Uh, But we're seeing more reflective denial of service activity sort of trending upward over the last couple few months here. This is uh, going back to February. So the last few months, uh, we've been seeing some uh, increases in reflective denial of service attack activity again. And, you know, it's kind of interesting to point out, um, you know, controls have been put on the network to control some of these protocols like blue here is SSDP. Uh, We blocked that on the network because it really doesn't need to be on the Internet. It's a it's a LAN protocol. Um, character generator that's been blocked. So that's been a pretty good deterrent for those types of vectors. Those are really strong vectors for a period of time. Uh, the next one here, port 123, this is uh, network time protocol and there are some controls that were put in place along, uh, along those lines, To, but it's not perfect. You can't really block network time protocol on the internet, it's, uh, it's a necessary protocol. Similarly with DNS, uh, DNS being sort of this yellowish one, you can't block DNS on the internet. Um, It would be nice to, in my opinion, to take a look at how DNS is designed to make it more, um, you know, um, robust to Mm -hmm. preventing these types of uses. And this last one is really the fragmentation, uh, largely is associated with DNS. So you'll see that the fragmentation curve actually kind of follows the DNS curve quite a bit, partly because what they're doing is trying to create queries that create fragmented uh, right. uh, responses associated with it. So, we're seeing an upward trend in this area. have been able to put some controls in some of the uh, protocols that uh, aren't as neat, you know, aren't needed on the internet or don't really belong on the internet. Uh, but we still have some uh, challenges uh, across the industry to be able to get uh, these DDoS attacks under control. Hmm. Yeah, some interesting things. Is that it? So. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs>
0: we just saw the end of both the Black Hat and DEF CON conference. I think it's probably justified for us to say here that, you know, to pay attention to the things that are going to you know, sort of be released after the Black Hat and DEF CON conference for a couple of weeks, maybe even for a couple of months afterwards, you see sort of a, a rise in sort of the more uh, malicious uh, or more extreme vulnerabilities uh, being exposed, so I would certainly keep an eye out for that, um, and, and continue to patch whenever possible. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are
2: those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of at and or any other person or entity.